I want you to imagine that the year is 1945, and I offered you one ballpoint pen for just $12.50. At first, you might think, that's a little bit up there, but well, sure, why not? But let's fast forward to today and adjust that for inflation. The pen is now $180 adjusted. Still interested? Well, let's talk about it. Welcome to Design Dive, the podcast that explores design that's all around us every Wednesday in just 10 to 15 minutes so you can get on with your day. My name's Chris Downs, and whether you're a designer or just simply curious about how design impacts our everyday life, you're in the right place. So let's dive in. All right, this episode to me was mind-boggling. All about the ballpoint pen, and really it's a complex story for just such a simple device. I'm really excited for this one. We use a ballpoint pen every day. It's a way of life. Yes, we're in a, a digital age, but really the ballpoint pen is not going anywhere. It scatters junk drawers, it's at the office, it's on a desk uh, sitting there when you go to the bank, if you still go to a bank uh, in person, Um, but it's really all over the place. The design is so simple, but I bet that you haven't spent too much time thinking about how it came to be. Our journey takes us back all the way to 1888. John J. Loud put in the first patent for a ballpoint pen. He was a lawyer and an occasional inventor, and he wanted an ink pen that would be able to write on rougher materials, such as wood, leather, uh, even paper was his hope. But the real brilliance was the idea behind a revolving steel ball, which was held in place by a socket and would allow ink through it once pressed onto a surface. In the patent, he said it was for marking on rough surfaces such as wood, coarse wrapping paper, and other articles where an ordinary pen could not be used. Kind of an interesting idea. Uh, Writing on wood wouldn't be my first choice, but if I'm in a wood shop, maybe that sounds promising. But the problem was Loud's pen It was able to write on leather, wood, those kind of materials, but it was too rough for paper. Eventually, the device was deemed to have no commercial value, and the patent eventually lapsed. After this, several other inventors come to the picture, try to pick up this idea and improve upon it, but they didn't have any success. We fast forward to a man by the name of Laszlo Biro, He was originally cited to be the creator of the ballpoint pen, but I bring up John J. Loud because he had that first idea of that ball and socket idea with the pen. And so to me, it's worth mentioning his idea in 1888, but now we fast forward to Laszlo, and he was a Hungarian-Argentinian inventor. He was very much acquainted with how the fountain pen worked. He hated how leaky it was, that it left your hands smudged with ink, and 
occasionally that ink would smudge on the paper. So he was very much frustrated and felt like that there was a better solution out there for this pen. Bureau in the 1930s brought Lowndes' design again to light and was able to begin working on it and trying to improve it. Now, let's talk about that ball and socket idea and, and specifically how it works. We have gravity playing a role in this and that when force is applied to that rolling ball, we get a continuous stream of ink that rolls along the paper. But the cool thing is when the pen's not in use, that ball sits tight up against that, that opening and prevents air from coming in and drying out the ink. And so really it's genius to uh, what the fountain pens couldn't do was create a way to have a continuous stream of ink and be able to have it not dry out. But, and, and think of this as like roll-on deodorant or icy hot, that kind of mechanism, same principle applies. But sure, he, Biro could have easily tried to reproduce this, put it on the market and, and run with it. But just simply having the mechanism of the pen without thought behind the ink wasn't going to do. He needed to come up with a way that the ink could dry faster than fountain pens did. So he turned to his brother, who was a dentist and also a talented chemist, of all things, and, and came up with a special ink that would spread easily and dry quickly. This new solution actually would allow the pen to use far less ink than what fountain pens used. So in the end, it's, it's a win-win as far as drying and using less ink. Laszlo, he received a patent for his new pen in Britain in 1938, but World War II comes into the picture and pauses putting his plans to market, and eventually Laszlo and his brother were Jews at the time of World War II, and they decided to flee Europe in 1941 and immigrated to Argentina. Eventually, they dusted off these plans and they released the first pens in 1943 while the war was still going on in Europe and the Pacific. The design eventually piqued the interest of the, the Royal Air Force, and they put in an order for 30,000 pens to be made. The reason the Air Force wanted these pens was that air crew could use them at high altitudes, unlike fountain pens, which tend to leak because of changes in pressure. So to them, they saw it as a valuable tool and put in that order. Now, eventually we see the American side of things start to creep in. We see an American businessman by the name of Milton Reynolds. He was visiting Buenos Aires and was impressed by the new pen. He ended up buying several and returned back to America and he would later set up a company known as the Reynolds International Pen Company to market this new design. Now, you can't just steal a design and call it your own and start selling it, but he Reynolds actually had a design that had enough changes to it to sidestep Laszlo's patent, and he was able to go 
first on sale in the U.S. in October of 1945. So he beat everyone to the punch and was first to market. With those sales, Time Magazine said, quote, thousands of people all but trampled one another last week to spend $12.50 each for a new fountain pen. Now going back, as we, if we adjust that for inflation, that's $180 for a pen. You can see why they phrased it that way because it seems crazy to be lining up for a pen that was that expensive. But the key to this was the marketing. They noted that this new pen only needed to be refilled once every two years. With a, a fountain pen, you would need to refill that guy once a month. And so people thought it was brilliant and they bought into the idea. And quite literally, they sold 30,000 pens in the first week. And according to Time Magazine, in six months, they did 5.6 million in sales, which if we adjust for inflation is $81 million. So why were these pens so loved? Well, there was no mess. Really, it was just a simple design and in the way it operated. And it mimicked the style of fountain pens. They didn't shy away from that. They knew that people endeared fountain pens for the way that they looked, how they felt, and they were metal. And they intended for these pens to be refilled with ink. And again, that marketing messaging for two years of writing without needing to refill is sold to the market. But eventually we see a sales problem start to rise up. The market became oversaturated. So many companies were starting up selling their own versions of these pens that eventually, yeah, everyone had one, but people were just buying refills. They didn't want to buy any more pens because, hey, I have this nice metal pen. I can just buy all the refills I need for it and I don't have to throw it out. So that meant lower pen sales. And for these companies, that was a problem. A man by the name of Michael Bick would change pens forever. He was an Italian-born French industrialist that ran a company himself making ballpoint pens. So he understood the market. He understood this problem. And he really wanted to do something about it. He didn't invent anything, but he just understood the mass market. So what he did was he set out to buy this abandoned factory near Paris, and he started creating a new company, Society Bic. He had shortened the his last name, which was spelled B-I-C-H, to B-I-C. If that name rings a bell, then you would be right. They are the cheap pens that you can find today at the store, disposable and easy to use. Bic created these cheap pens and they really took off because of changes in production techniques. The, the plastic mass production allowed new ballpoint pens to be made very cheap, thus getting rid of the problem of people not buying pens. Instead, he can market these pens as being disposable. Runs out of ink, chuck it, get a new one, and you're good to go. 
So let's talk about the literal design of the pen itself. It, it changes slightly from company to company with these disposable pens, but I'm going to talk about just those clear shaft Bic pens that are so popular. That transparent shaft allows you to see how much ink you have left in the pen and if you're running out. So you can get a new pen or, or get ready if you don't have any laying around. There's also a tiny hole in the body that allows the release of air pressure both inside and outside the pen. And there's the, the magical ink that we've talked about that dries up in just a few seconds when you're writing on a piece of paper. So really just the design itself is such a miracle that sometimes we just don't even think about it anymore. It's just so foundational and just a way of life that we haven't really changed it. Think about it. The art of writing changed drastically with the introduction of the ballpoint pen. Writing was a, a stationary act it, done in a certain environment, maybe on a certain kind of desk with other things that would allow you to write, but it was very much of a stationary thing. Now, with this new pen, you can take it into any environment. You can take it with you. You can write on the go anywhere. I am willing to argue that the ballpoint pen is the equivalent of today's smartphone. Think about that. Because the smartphone allowed us to bring a phone with us, a music playing device, and to be able to search the internet all in one place on the go. And we can do that with a stationary computer that was sitting at our desk. But the ballpoint pen doing the same thing allows us to take it on the go and be more versatile and more forgiving in the way that it writes compared to a fountain pen. So what did we learn from this? Notice how many hands that the design of this pen went through. There was a lot of individuals behind it from just the, the ball and socket system to um, having a better ink and having it actually write on paper to someone that marketed it to the U.S. that made it as popular as it did. And even beyond that to the disposable pens. It, it was a design that was not overcomplicated, but it was marketed right and it stuck to where we have today. So the next time that you're signing something on a piece of paper, just remember the genius that went behind that simple little device. And that's our dive. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the channel, leave a rating or a review, and share this podcast with others. But until next time, keep learning, stay inspired, and remember, design is all around us. See ya. See ya.